Some reject John 14, 6, of course, where Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In a statement of faith that the nation's largest Presbyterian denomination says God through Jesus Christ delivers followers from death to eternal life, but a poll done by the Presbyterian panel's religious and demographic profile of Presbyterians found that 36% of members disagreed or strongly disagreed with that statement. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. Chapter 1, verse 10, we do read, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now, oftentimes, when we read the New Testament, when we read the book of Acts or we read the epistles, when we look at Paul's missionary journeys, we can think, wouldn't it be great if the church today, 2,000 years later, was like the early church that we do read about in the New Testament. And as we look at the early church through the pages of Scripture, we know that the early church was very dynamic, wasn't it? It was very alive, and, and they were seeing God work in a powerful way. They were committed to the Word of God. They were committed to prayer. Miracles were being manifested. And it was truly a wonderful work of the Spirit that was taking place. But you need to remember this, that also in the early church, that there were problems that were taking place as well. And so as you look at Paul's missionary journeys, as he established those churches, as you see the book of Acts being unfolded there, and we really see the church uh, after the book of Acts, chapter 28, really continues today. And so there were problems back then. As you read Paul's epistles to those churches, and, and of course, we have done that on Sunday mornings. We, we've looked at the book of Philippians and Colossians and First and Second Thessalonians, the book to the Romans. We, we've studied all those epistles, Paul writing to particular churches and to Christians. And as he was writing to them, he would address the problems that were taking place. And so he would address them. And we know that there was false teachers that would creep into the church. Uh, we saw in the book of uh, Colossians just recently that we finished that the Gnostics had come in claiming to have special and unique knowledge. And so Paul would address that, and he would warn the Christians against that. Don't be pulled away from the gospel, from the truth. There were the legalists and Judaizers, and there were all kinds of things that were taking place that Paul would have to bring correction to those churches. And it was no different than uh, what we see with the church at Corinth. Matter of fact, as we discussed last week, that Paul establishing the church at Corinth on his second missionary journey. It was the last city that he would go into. He started with Philippi. He would travel down to Thessalonica, then Berea. He would then travel to Athens and then come into the city of Corinth. And there he would make tents. He would establish the church there at Corinth. It grew very quickly. Many were getting saved. Paul stayed in that city for a year and a half, which was a long time to Paul for Paul to stay in any city on his missionary journeys. 
But as the church of Corinth was established, we see that uh, then that took place in about 51 AD. Paul would leave Corinth. He would then eventually make his way to Ephesus on his third missionary journey, and Ephesus was his base of operation during that time. And as he would write a letter to that church when he was first there in Ephesus, we don't have that letter recorded in the pages of Scripture. It was a corrective letter, and it would be after that that he would get word from the household of Chloe, as we read in verse 11, that they have some questions there in corn for you, Paul. And so they bring those questions, but also Paul learns that there's problems that are taking place. And one of the problems, and there were many problems and issues concerning the church at Corinth, but one of the main problems was that there were divisions. And that's what Paul's going to begin to discuss and talk about. He says, it's been brought to my attention. There are divisions among you. There's contentions. That, that word might be translated in your Bible, quarreling. In other words, they were arguing. And that contention, that uh, dissension, that arguing that was taking place, the quarreling, would bring division among them. So Paul is going to immediately address that problem. And it is interesting to me that of all the problems that we will see that the church of Corinth had, all the correction that is needed to be given to them, that the very first thing, correction and problem that Paul addresses and tackles here, is this whole uh, uh, circumstances concerning the division. And the reason is, is because he knows how serious it is. He understands how foolish it is and how Satan can take that and use that to bring great damage and hurt and harm to the church. He can do that with a fellowship. He can do that with a ministry. And so Paul begins to address that right away here as we see that he now begins to address the different issues that were taking place in problems. He says, first of all, I hear that there's divisions and quarreling that has taken place. And I'll be real honest with you guys. There is no other word that will bring fear or discouragement into the heart of a pastor or into the heart of a shepherd of God's people than this one word, division, or contentions, or when there's quarreling, or when there's dissension that has taken place. And the reason is, is because I think all of us know and we understand, we perhaps have seen it in a church, we've heard about it in a ministry, that it does great damage and harm to a group of, of believers, to a church, to a ministry. And, and, and Satan uses it to bring that damage. And so, unfortunately, it happens all too often. And what takes place is you see God working in a ministry. You see God working in a body of believers. It may be a small group. It may be a church such as us. It may be a ministry that is ministering out in the community or across the world. And God is doing a mighty work. But all of a sudden, there's quarreling. There's, there's disagreement. There is division that has taken place. And that work stops because of the division. So Paul understands the seriousness of what the problem is. And so he says, I plead with you. It's a very, very strong exhortation here. He says, in a sense, I beg you, is what he's saying, that there will be no divisions among you, that you would be joined together in the same mind. Now, it's very similar, isn't it, to what we saw Paul, what he would write as we were in the book of Philippians, and as he's writing to that church, which he established on his second missionary journey, 
that he also would say, you guys, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he would begin to plead with them that you would stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in that case, that is in that church, the church of Philippi, it just happened to be that there were two ladies that were bringing division. They were fighting, they were quarreling, and then people began to take sides. So he addressed that very strongly with them as well. To the church of Ephesus, he would say, that you are to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul here addressing this, knowing the seriousness of the problem, he says, I hear there's divisions among you. And it's interesting, isn't it, that in the ten, uh, first 10 verses of this chapter, that Paul mentions the name of Jesus 11 times. Now why would he do that? Because the solution to this problem of division and the solution to all of their problems is the lordship of Jesus Christ. And whenever we get our focus off of Jesus, we stop submitting to Jesus. That is when we have problems that end up plaguing our lives and we have problems that end up plaguing the church, including division that can come in. So we are told as believers throughout the New Testament and here that we are to be perfectly joined together, to have the same mind, speak the same thing, for your unity is in Christ. And that word that Paul does use for division in the original language, in the Greek, it means schisms, or it means a tearing apart. And that is the result of division. There is a tearing apart, bringing hurt and damage and harm to the body of Christ. And we know that Satan will use that tactic. And Satan uses a few tactics to get a foothold into the life of a believer, into the life of a church. And one of those footholds that he tries to get into is driving a wedge between people. He, he does that in the body of Christ. And as we learned yesterday, that one of the devices of the enemy is that he will do that also in your family. He will try to do that with your marriage. He will try to bring division. He will try to separate spouses. He will try to bring division with parents and children. And he's very effective in using that tool. That's why it's important, as we learned yesterday, that we put on the whole armor of God. But also that we need to understand some things in the church that we have unity. We are to have unity based on the lordship of Jesus Christ and be wise in that and remember that so division does not take place. And so the vision here being a serious problem that was taking place, so he's calling them to be of the same mind. Now, what does it mean to be of the same mind? It doesn't mean that everybody in the body of Christ or all the churches or all the ministries are going to think exactly alike. But our basis of unity is in the Lord Jesus Christ, our, our love for the Lord and his love for us. And that's our basis of being, coming together in one body. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church. He is the foundation. He's the cornerstone. And he is our basis where we come together. And isn't it wonderful that we can look at Calvary Chapel, and I know as the church grows and second service, it gets full and the coffee shop is full, that it, it's hard to get to know everybody. But a lot of us, we know people here and the body of Christ. And it's wonderful, isn't it, how the Lord brings us all together in one body, as we lift up one voice in worship, as, as we go to him, as our unity is found in our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we all have different backgrounds, we all have different experiences, we all have different personalities. There would be no other basis for which we would come together in a unity of love as a, a church family 
And it's all based on Jesus Christ, isn't it? So Jesus would say that if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. The gospel message is for everyone. And as we come to Jesus Christ, we are truly one body in him. So Paul learning from Chloe's household. Many uh, scholars and historians believe that Chloe, this woman, was perhaps a businesswoman that would travel and she would come to Ephesus where Paul is on his third missionary journey. And the household there, whether it was part of her family, would come to Paul. They would say, this has taken place, this division in the church. Now remember that the church of Corinth at this time, even though that God had been working mightily, the church grew quickly, it is a young church. It's only a few years old when Paul is writing this letter to them. And so Paul tells us a little bit more about concerning this division in verse 12. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So Paul writing about how their division was happening in the church of Corinth. And what was taking place is there were different factions or groups of believers that were saying, well, we're of Paul. And they were separating themselves from everybody else. And this group over here was saying, well, we're of Apollos. And then this group over here was saying, we're of Cephas, of our Peter. And then another group over here based on another man or whatever it might be. And the way I think that perhaps that it was being played out was this, that, hey, we're of Paul. He founded the church. We only listen to him. So we're the ones that are really spiritual here in, in, in Corinth. Or they were saying, but, but we're of Apollos because we're the ones that love to listen to someone who's really eloquent and brilliant of speech. And Apollos was. He was a brilliant man, very eloquent of speech. And so they were drawn to that, uh, the Greek mind, the, the Corinthians. And so we're the spiritual ones, and we are separate ourselves from everybody else. Or we're of Cephas. We follow the one who was first among the apostles. It's interesting to think that perhaps Peter was in Corinth preaching to them. It seems to give indication in 1 Corinthians and also 2 Corinthians, Paul mentions how Peter traveled with his wife, that perhaps he was in Corinth and he taught the Corinthian believers. We don't know for sure, but some were saying we're of Cephas, so it gives us indication that perhaps he was there. And then the real spiritual ones were saying, well, we're of Christ. You say, well, isn't that the basis of our unity? Yeah, it is, but here's... There was an attitude of pride, and the result was division. Separating themselves and arguing and quarreling about the one that we're going to listen to, and there was a self-righteous smugness. And rather than centering around and our basis being on Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that's where our unity is, they would center around and they would follow a man, or they would follow some kind of doctrine, particular doctrine, and the same kind of attitudes can happen today. Now, I want to make sure that we're clear on what Paul is saying here and what he is not saying. We have a particular teacher or pastor that we love to listen to. We go to a church, a ministry that we can support, their philosophy of ministry. There's nothing wrong with that. And hopefully that you here at Calvary Chapel, you come because you're being blessed by expository teaching. You're being blessed by what is being said. You agree with the philosophy of ministry. That is great. But where we can get into problems is, is if we get together and we say we're better than everybody else. 
we're more righteous and we're more holy and everybody else in other churches are second-rate Christians. And of course, that's where division can come in. And we can divide over things that shouldn't be issues that we divide over. Maybe a style of worship or a style of the way the Word of God is being taught or maybe over a particular doctrine. You have Calvinists and Arminianists and dispensationalists and pre-tribbers and post-tribbers and all these things. And you know that here, that as I teach through the Word of God, i got a particular stance on certain things. But we don't want those things to cause division in the body of Christ. And those issues that should not cause division in the body of Christ um, should not take place to where there's quarreling and contentions. And so we have brothers and sisters that are in other churches, don't we? And they worship perhaps where the emphasis is maybe on hymns or the older songs or maybe another church where it's the emphasis of worship is more rock and roll, whatever it might be. You see what I mean? Maybe they have different stance on certain doctrinal issues, but the trouble begins when we begin to have pride and we begin to divide over issues that we should not. So here Paul talking about our unity is in Christ. He's the Lord of the church. He is the head of the church. Verse 13 again is Christ divided, Paul would ask. Christ should not be divided. Christ was the one that was crucified on Calvary's cross for us, not Paul. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't Apollos. It wasn't me. We weren't baptized in the name of Paul. So we need to remember that there is not one single Christian leader or pastor who can provide forgiveness of sin, who can provide salvation, bring us into right relationship with God. It's through Jesus Christ. The newness of life that we walk in, it is a work of God. Christ living in our hearts. It's not a work of man. So verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I do. I also baptize the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptize any other. So apparently there was those who were making an issue concerning baptism. And Paul says, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you. And of course, he's talking about water baptism here. Lest anyone should say that I was baptized in my own name. So it seems that there were those who had taught that they were Christians and saved because they were baptized by Paul the Apostle. There are groups today that believe that baptism is necessary for regeneration, for salvation. And they'll have the baptismal in the church. And if anybody comes forward and gets saved, that they immediately baptize them because that is necessary for the completion of salvation, for forgiveness of sin. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a baptismal in the church. There's nothing wrong at all in getting baptized after you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've talked about baptism. How's an important you know, act for a Christian to be baptized? But it's a statement. It's an outward expression, an outward thing that takes place of an inward change that's already taken place. It is a public declaration that I've already given my life to the Lord Jesus Christ, that I'm a new creature in Christ. So we've talked about the symbolism of baptism. Baptism doesn't save us, but it shows and it declares and gives a testimony that we're already saved. So Paul here, he's saying, I thank God he didn't baptize any of you. The other side of the pendulum here is Paul is not saying that baptism is not important either. But what he is emphasizing here is baptism is not going to make you a Christian and provide salvation. And if it did, he would not write here, I thank God that 
I baptized none of you. He says, I did Crispus. You remember Crispus? We talked about him last week. He was the ruler of the synagogue that came over and got saved. Gaius, and oh yeah, the household of Stephanus, and there are others, if there are, I don't remember, verse 17, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. I didn't come to develop a following around me, is what he's saying, or come to make it a priority to baptize. But I came and made it a priority to preach the gospel, that is the good news. I came to preach Christ and him crucified. And that's what saves you. Jesus is the one that brings regeneration to you, not a man. And it isn't baptism. I didn't come with the wisdom of words. Now, here in verse 17, Paul begins to change themes a bit. He says, I didn't come in man's wisdom. I came with a simple, single, but powerful truth. Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was put into a tomb. He rose again three days later and now sits at the right hand of the Father. So you turn to him, surrender to him, come in faith to him for salvation, forgiveness. He will give you a new heart. Now remember that the mindset of the Greeks at this time was philosophy and knowledge and wisdom. All that was very important to them. That was something that they excelled in and wanted to learn. And Paul says something very important to them here. He says, I didn't come with persuasive words or with excellence of speech but with the power and demonstration of the Spirit. And I really like that, just simply telling people the love and provision of Jesus Christ. He says, I didn't come to impress you with my speech, but to point you to Jesus and Him crucified. I didn't come to develop a following around me, for you are to follow the one who died on a tree. I think that any of us who teach, whether we teach a small group or Uh, whether we teach young people or youth or whoever it might be. Me as a pastor, as a teacher, I need to be careful that I'm not trying to get people to follow after me and and try to get a following after me and how great I can be or exalt myself or people look to me all the time because I'm going to fail. I can't save you. I can't bring forgiveness to you. I don't want to focus on how clever I can be and dynamic I can be and all these other things that you can get caught up in if you're not careful. And so as we continue to go through the scriptures, as the pastor here and as a shepherd, I want to minister to you the things of God. I want to make sure that you're taken care of and fed and and to make sure you're the best fed, best loved sheep and greedy. Certainly I do. I want to give you the text as we go through the scriptures and its context, how it is that we can apply it in our lives. And if I can do that, then what I am doing is I'm pointing you past me to Jesus Christ. And that's what I am to do, not to elevate myself or try to get a following around me or around the name Calvary Chapel, but to point you to Jesus Christ so you can learn the wisdom of God, so you know salvation, how it comes through Jesus Christ and how it is that he wants you to live for him. So that's really what Paul is getting at here. And he, it's going to help them as he says, I didn't come with the wisdom of man. 
to have a following after me. I came to give you a single simple message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's going to help you as you remember that in this whole problem and division. Stay focused on Christ, the message of Christ, the message of the cross. And verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So those who are perishing, the message of the cross is foolishness. The world hears our message of the cross of Jesus. And the response of the world is, that's foolishness. That's silly. That's nonsense. Why? Because people believe that they can save themselves. A lot of people do. There are people that think, well, there's many ways to heaven. There's many ways to God. I pulled up an interesting article, and it talks about one denomination. And and I'm not picking on one denomination, but I think we see this in a lot of denominations, and we're seeing it more even in independent churches. But it just kind of shows us kind of the thinking of more and more people that are in churches today. And it says that some reject John 14, 6, of course, where Jesus says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And the statement of faith of the nation's largest Presbyterian denomination says God, through Jesus Christ, delivers followers from death to eternal life. But a poll done by the Presbyterian panel's religious and demographic profile of Presbyterians found that 36% of members disagreed or strongly disagreed with that statement. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970-330-1717. If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.